You're listening to the Mission Church Podcast. Each message comes from our Sunday morning gatherings where we worship in community, study God's Word, and grow in our faith together to the glory of Jesus Christ. The Mission Church is committed to helping each person belong and believe and to equip them to embrace the call of God upon their life. We pray these messages will build your faith and encourage you today. We are going through the book of Genesis, and uh, we've taken a little break as we did that New Testament series, which I'm so thankful for, and I want to kind of review, uh, the title of today's message is the Abrahamic Covenant, part three, and uh, you say, well, Dave, gosh, what the heck, why three parts to the Abrahamic Covenant? Uh, Well, here's why. It is an incredibly foundational core covenant of the entire Bible. And we cannot know our Bible correctly. We cannot interpret even the New Testament correctly without understanding this covenant. Uh, In addition, it is a covenant that applies to the world around us today. You You will read the news differently when you know this covenant. It will change your worldview It is very important that we understand the contents of this covenant. And so uh, we've spent three weeks on it. Uh, Now, these Abrahamic Covenant Part 3, you'll remember these weren't in order. It was the first time I've ever done a three-part message, not back-to-back. But that's how the Bible does it. The first part of the covenant, uh, Abrahamic Covenant Part 1, was in Genesis 12. And there God makes the covenant with Abram. Uh, Abram is not a godly man. He's a pagan. He's worshiping other gods, and God calls him out of a pagan land and calls him to himself and says, I've called you by name. I want you to walk with me, and that's what God does. God loves saving sinners, bringing us out of the filth of the world, and bringing us to himself. If you're here today, God might be doing that work in your life right here, right now. You're kind of like, I don't even know how I got here today. It just kind of just happened. This is how God works. God sovereignly calls Abram, says, I want you to follow me. And he makes this covenant with this man. And uh, uh, we need to know the contents of the covenant, the ingredients of the covenant, if you will. And those were laid out in Genesis 12. We looked at them then, but just as a way of review, because it's been a while, uh, there were five major ingredients or five major contents of this covenant. The first one was this. He said, Abram, I'm going to give you a permanent homeland. He called him out of the Ur of the Chaldees and said, I want you to come into the land of Canaan and I'm going to give it to you. It was a a permanent homeland. Uh, Secondly, he said, I'm going to make you a great nation, a great people group. It will be the nation Israel. I'm going to make a nation out of you, Abram. Uh, Just amazing to consider. Abram's got no kids at this point. He's 75 years old. He's been married a long time. He has given up on the idea of having kids. And God comes along and says, Abram, not only are you going to have a kid, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. Just amazing to consider. A great, uh, 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 great people group is going to come through you, Abram. They're going to be like the multitude of the sand in number. Uh, and Abram's just like, me? Really? I mean, God has plans for us that are so far beyond what we could think on our own. That's why it is so good to enter into a relationship with him and let let him guide us. Your life will be uh, twice, 10 times as much as it could ever be on our own. The third ingredient of this covenant was personal blessings, personal greatness on Abram and on the Jewish people. And I tell you, you don't have to be too smart to see how true this is in the world. The Jewish people are just incredibly brilliant. They have made more uh, contributions to science, to the arts, to medicine, to agriculture, to uh, you name it. Almost any sphere of industry, the Jewish people have done just phenomenal uh, advances in those fields. And God kept his promise. He says, I will make you great. I will make you, uh, uh, they're just, they're amazing people. And uh, uh, incredibly, incredibly smart uh, uh, just we see so clearly this, this promise that is kept. Uh, fourthly, God says, I'm going to give you divine protection. And you say, that's kind of weird. Why would you need that? Well, here's why. 
Let's pretend just for a moment. Let's suppose just for a moment that God is real and Satan is real. That there actually is good and evil. That there actually is a God and an adversary. This covenant is so powerful. This covenant is so significant. This covenant is so essential that from the moment God made this covenant with Abram, Satan has tried to destroy it, tried to break it, because it is the very fabric of God's salvific plan, God's plan of salvation for the entire world. And so God, knowing that there would be this, uh, this persecution on this lineage, we call it anti-Semitism. It is one of the greatest mysteries in the universe. Why this tiny little people group who have done so much good for the entire world would be the most persecuted people group on the face of the earth, that ought to make you go, hmm, that ought to make you think. There is a spiritual origin behind it. God, knowing this in advance, says, I'm going to put divine protection on you. His exact words, Genesis 12, were this, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. I will bless those who support you, and I will go against those who go against you. And he puts divine protection upon them. Uh, so important. Um, the, uh, the last one, uh, part of this covenant, the last ingredient or, or content of this covenant was really spectacular. He says, and in you, Abram, or through this nation Israel, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And you say, wow, how could that be possible? Abraham must have been blown away. Like, through me, all the nations of the earth? How could that possibly be? Well, we see it is totally true. The advances in medicine, the advances in science, the contributions that they have made, more Nobel Peace Prize winners of, of uh, per, per capita than any other people group by far. I mean, it's crazy. But that's not what he was talking about. All those were ancillary. Here's what he was talking about. The New Testament tells us this promise, this prophecy was fulfilled through the Messiah. There's a Messiah. His name is Jesus. He's going to come in the world through the nation Israel, through Abraham, and he will bring salvation to the world. He will bring uh, the, the forgiveness of sin and the adoption in into the family of God. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God through Jesus Christ. An amazing, amazing miracle. And uh, that is what we are, by the way. And so these are the contents of the covenant. Uh, it's a profound covenant. It's uh, uh, you know, essential. And then again, it'll affect how you read your news in the morning. Now, um, that was review. Uh, let me review one more thing. Why would God do this? What was his goal in this? Well, his goal was threefold, I believe. First and foremost, he wanted to call a specific people group to himself. God called Israel his own peculiar treasure. That uh, I will be your God and you will be my people. You see, you were created to have intimate relationship, intimate fellowship with God. The problem is, is we're so sinful that we were running off into all these different things. We saw the Tower of Babel. We saw the flood of Noah. We saw just man running amok over and over and over. And God says, listen, I'm going to call one nation to myself. They're going to be my people. You will be my people. I will be your God. In Deuteronomy, God tells Israel, I didn't, I didn't choose you because you were better than anybody else. As a matter of fact, I chose you because you were the very least it wasn't your greatness that I chose. You're great because I chose you. But you are the least of people. I chose you that I might take the least of the people and set my love upon them and that I would be your God. You would be my people. Which leads us to God's second purpose of the Abrahamic covenant, that Israel would be a light to the world. That God would so bestow his love upon them. He would give them his teachings, his commandments, his precepts, his, his word that would be so insightful for a human being that if you would know God's word and begin to apply it into your life, it would give you an amazing marriage. 
It would give you the ability to be an amazing father, an amazing mother. It would give you the ability to be an amazing businessman, to be a light to the rest of the world. So that the whole world would look at you and go, man, that guy's just got character. That woman just has uh, something about her. Uh, That family, it's just, uh, what is it? And you'd be able to tell them, well, I walk in God's ways. God has reached out to us. He called us and we are following him. And this is his instruction on my life. And anyone who walks in these truths will have an amazing life. Jesus has the same plan for you, by the way, Mission Church. You are the light of the world. You are a city on a hill. And you don't light a lamp and put it under a bed. No, no, no. You get that light and you let it shine to give the whole house light so that we can see. And I tell you, the world is so lost in darkness right now. Go be that light. That was the second reason God called Israel. Uh, uh, The third reason uh, we already covered was simply to bring Jesus. I don't mean simply, but I mean to bring Jesus, the Savior of mankind, into the world. Uh, that all men might have a relationship with God and be restored to God, that they might understand God's love. And so God promised this nation, uh, hey, I'm going to bring the Messiah through you. And all of Israel's great hope, their greatest hope, all the prophecies, everything, all pointing to this Messiah that will one day come. Jesus stepped on the earth. And he was that Messiah. The Bible would say, Jesus would say, in the volume of the book, it is written of me. All of this was about me. And God chose uh, Israel as that, that, that vessel which he was going to bring the Messiah. He had told Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve, the Messiah is going to come through your lineage. Well, that just meant all humans. The Messiah was going to be human. But then now he now narrows it down to one people group uh, through the nation Israel. Uh, so that was God's purposes in it. Uh, Abram is 75 years old when God makes this covenant with him. Abram now in chapter, that's chapter 12 of Genesis. In chapter 15, Abram is now 85 years old. I want you to think about what you were doing 10 years ago. Think about how much your life has changed in 10 years. You may have gotten married in the last 10 years. You may have had children in the last 10 years. You may have moved to a new state in the last 10. I mean, life changes a ton in 10 years. 10 years go by and Abram still has no child. He still does not have a homeland. He's living in a tent in this land that God promised to him. He has none of these things. 10 years, long time. And Abraham prays and he says, God, how will I know that I'm going to inherit this this covenant you made with me? What do I have to do? And God answers that prayer in a very unique way. God says, Abram, I want you to get get some animals and cut them in half. And Abram totally understood what this was. This was a common thing in Abraham's day. So Abram cuts these animals in half, puts half the animal on this side of the road, half the animal on this side of the road, walks down 10 paces, cuts another animal in half, puts half of it on this side of the road, half of it on this side of the road, and on down the way. Uh, Imagine this whole aisle here with animal pieces on both sides. What this was, this was a common contract in Abraham's day, a common contract among kings. It was called a suzerain treaty. And it was when a king would say, hey, look, let's make an alliance together. And if anybody comes against me, I'll fight. My whole army will fight with you. And if anybody comes against you, my whole army, if I said that wrong, you know what I mean, right? Uh, (laughs) We'll be together. And they would make this agreement. They'd shake on it. And then they would walk through these pieces. And it was symbolic. If I don't keep my end of the deal... This is what will happen to me. You can slaughter me and have all my stuff, right? And if I don't keep my end of the deal, you can slaughter me. That was So Abram knew what this was. Cut these pieces. Abram does. And he waits. He kept thinking, is there a king going to come by and make a, an agreement with me? What, what's going to happen? He waits all day long. And in the middle of the night, a divine manifestation, a giant flame burning brilliantly. The Bible teaches our God is a consuming fire. Holy. And he comes, and this 
giant flame passes through the pieces all by itself. Abram doesn't pass through. And Abraham clearly understood the allegory, the picture. This is an unconditional covenant. His question, how will I know that I'm going to have this? God says, I got you covered. This is totally unconditional. You don't have to do anything. This is going to happen all by my my doing. It is totally unconditional. And Abraham understood the message. The Abrahamic covenant is totally unconditional. It doesn't matter how bad Israel messes up. God's covenant upon them stands. Even if they reject and crucify their Messiah, the very icon of their existence, it will not destroy the Abrahamic covenant. God says, this is all my doing. Amazing. Crazy how God communicates so clearly this message to Abraham, 85 years old. And what's crazy is that in less than a year, before he's 86, God says, it's all my doing. He goes and gets Hagar and has her as a surrogate mother for his child. Less than one year after that happens. And that's where we pick up our study today. With that rambling introduction, uh, let's jump into chapter 17. Uh, Are you with me? Are you into the story? Is this not an epic story? Uh, We should make a movie of this, man. Uh, Chapter 17. If you're there, give me a big amen. Amen. Now go back one verse in chapter 16. And here's where we're going to read. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abraham. We covered that in chapter 16, a lapse of faith. Doesn't break the covenant. God's faithful. Uh, 86 uh, years old, uh, chapter 17, when Abram was 99 years old, 13 years have passed, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, I am almighty God. You might want to underline almighty God. In the Hebrew, it is the word El Shaddai. El Shaddai. It is the first usage in the Bible of El Shaddai. El Shaddai is not a name of God. It is a title of God. In Hebrew, El El is God in Hebrew. And El Shaddai means God Almighty. Uh, In chapter 14, God had uh, uh, revealed himself to Abraham as El Elyon. El Elyon. Uh, That means God most high. Uh, Abraham, I want you to know I am the God most high. El Elyon. I am the God of heaven and earth. I am the creator. I am, Abram knew a lot of gods. He came from a society that there was all kind. there was a pantheon of gods. Uh, and God says, no, 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 no. I am the highest of all. I am, I am the God, El Elyon. Now God wants to reveal himself something different about himself. I am El Shaddai. I am all powerful. I am almighty God. Why might Abram need to know that? Because he's 99 years old, and he still doesn't have this child. And at 99, the Bible tells us, Hebrews 11 tells us, he's impotent. His body is as good as dead. Sarah is menopausal. uh, And he's wondering, how could this ever happen? And God manifests himself to him, as else should I. Uh, God is the becoming one. He is everything that we ever need. His name is not El Shaddai. His name is Yahweh or Jehovah. That is his name. But he is El Elyon, uh, the God most high. He is El Shaddai, the most powerful God. But his name is Yahweh or Jehovah or Jesus. Jesus simply means Yahweh is salvation. That is his name. Uh, And so here he appears to Abraham and he says, I am God Almighty. Now look at this for me. 
Wow, this thing is flipping out on me, Lorenzo. Lorenzo, can you send someone up here to look at that for me? It's really distracting. Um, sorry, back to the text. Uh, he says, I am the almighty God. And look what he says. Walk before me and be what? Blameless. Walk before me and be blameless. What does that mean? And I will make my covenant between me and you, or I will establish this covenant between you and will multiply you exceedingly. You don't have any kids yet, but I'm, I'm going to multiply you exceedingly. And Abraham fell on his face and God talked with him. Oh, how incredible. He falls on his face uh, in total reverence, in total awe of God. We have this idea in Western culture that, yeah, you know, I've got a few questions when I see God. Hey, let me tell you something. When you see God, he is so glorious. He is so magnificent. He is so holy. There is one thing in common that all the patriarchs in the Bible had when they came into his presence. What would they do? Woe is me. Oh my gosh, you are a holy God. I am a sinful man. And Abram falls on his face in reverence, in awe of this God who is coming to him and speaking to him. I've been there. We are just blown away that God would take interest in you. And you're aware of his majesty and you're moved by it. And Abraham is there and God says some interesting things. He says, Abram, walk before me. What does that mean? Does that mean we walk ahead of God? No, we never walk ahead of God. What does it mean, walk before me? Here's what God is telling Abram. Abram, I am the omniscient, the all-powerful, mighty God. Now walk in full awareness of my presence. For you are always in my presence. But you're not always aware of it. I want you to walk in awareness of my presence. Walk before me, Abram. And I tell you, God would speak the same thing to you. He knows your thoughts before you think them. He is everywhere you go. When you are sitting down at the TV, thumbing through the channels, he would say, hey, walk before me. Know that I'm here with you in this. Young men, when you are going on the internet, walk before me. When you walk into a meeting, CEO, walk before me. Know what I value. Know my character. Know how I want you to live. Walk before me. You are my man. You are my son. You are my daughter. Now, now walk in my presence. I don't know about you, but when I see a police officer in my rearview mirror, I straighten up a little bit. <laughs> oh, 10 and 2, 10 and 2. Seatbelts on, put the phone down, quit texting. <laughs> I can't believe a pastor texts when he drives. I know, I know. <laughs> yeah, you stand up a little straight. That's what God is saying. Hey, be aware of my presence. I'm in your life. The second thing, walk before me and be what? Blameless. blameless. What does blameless mean? Does blameless mean be without sin? No, God never asks us to do things that we're not capable of doing. And the Bible makes it crystal clear that we're not capable of being sinless. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And in the Greek, it's in the present tense. It would be better translated this way. All are presently sinning and all are presently short, falling short of the glory of God. So he's not saying don't sin. What is he saying? What, blameless is not sinless. Blameless is not having intentional sin in your life. Willful sin in your life. Do you understand? There are sometimes I sin and I don't even know I sin. Didn't even realize it. I wasn't sensitive to somebody. I just didn't take time. I was, you know, just 
just doing my own thing. Didn't even know I hurt that person's feelings. Uh, that wasn't intentional. Uh, there's other times I sin willfully. And what God is saying is, walk before me and be blameless. Don't sin willfully. Instead, choose to walk in my ways. Uh, on Psalm 19, a great psalm, it says, uh, uh, verse 7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right. They're rejoicing the heart. I'll, I'll condense it, those paraphrase it, saying, Hey, God's commandments are so powerful that they give light and guidance to your life. It goes on to say, the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold. Yeah, God's teachings are so profound, that's even better than wealth. Sweeter also than honey in the honeycomb. It's the sweetest thing you can take into your life is God's word, man. Just learn God's ways, walk in them. Moreover, by them, by your teachings, by your commandments, your servant is warned. And in keeping them, there is great reward. The psalmist would go on and say, now... Who can understand his faults? Oh, there's so many faults I don't even know I do. Who can understand his faults? Keep back your servant from secret faults. What are those? Sins that I don't even know that I'm doing, right? Cleanse me of my secret faults, the things I didn't even know I was doing. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. What are those? Those are sins that I knew it was a sin. I didn't care. I'm doing it anyway. It's that conversation, someone makes you mad, and you get that small, still voice that says, hey, hey, calm down before you say anything. And you go, I'm not calming down. <laughs> well, that was a presumptuous sin. You knew better. You chose to do it anyway. And what God is saying here is, Abram, walk before me. Be aware of my presence and be blameless. Don't do intentional, willful sin against me. Uh, I want to do a work in your life, Abram. Uh, guys, when you're turning on the TV, walk before him, be blameless. Gals, when you go into that, uh, that group, man, uh, choose your words carefully. Walk before him, be blameless. Uh, God has great plans for us. By the way, the, the verb walk uh, before me there is an interesting structure in Hebrew. It, 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 uh, it connotates, it, it clearly declares a ongoing action. Uh, let me ask you, what am I doing right now? I'm, oh, I'm, now what am I doing? I'm stopping. Walking is a continuous action. It never stops. And in Hebrew, the verb connotates this very mindset. Walk before me. Well, I did. I went to church on Sunday. No, 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 no. It's a what? What is it? It's a continuous action. Continuous action. Walk before me. Be blameless. Uh, this is God's will for us. And it's amazing to me that God would stoop so low to allow me to walk with him. That God's love would be so upon us that it's possible for us to actually walk with him. Uh, there are patriarchs in the Bible where uh, God just clearly reveals that uh, these people did this. The Bible says of Enoch, Enoch walked with God. And he was not, for God took him. God raptured Enoch. He did it right before he brought judgment of the flood on the world through Noah. A picture, by the way, of God's rapture, God's deliverance before he brings judgment. Uh, Noah was said that he walked with God. What an amazing privilege that we can walk with God. And this is who God is. Uh, it's an amazing thing to ponder. May we walk in it. May we walk with God and be blameless. Uh, let's move on. Let's take a look at verse 4. Um, God's still speaking. This blows me away. Verse four blows me away. This part right here. As for me, who's saying that? God. As for me, God says, my covenant is with you. Amazing personal. I mean, no other religion in the world where you are making sacrifices to appease this God or you're climbing the mountains of Tibet or you're doing some ridiculous thing. No, no deity anywhere comes to you and says, as for me. I want to have a relationship with you. I mean, God is so amazing, this pursuing, loving God. As for me, behold, my covenant is with you. And you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram. 
Abram uh, means everlasting father. No longer shall your name be everlasting father. Can you imagine what a, what a joke that was for Abram? His whole entire life, right? How long have you been married? 20 years. Uh, what's your name? Abram. Oh, how many kids do you have? None. None. Oh, everlasting father. Oh, okay. That was his name. And his name, just what did his name do? His name pointed out his failure and his, his lack. And God says, Abram, I'm going to change your name. I'm going to change it from Abram to Abraham. Instead of being everlasting father, uh, Abba, by the way, in Hebrew, uh, father, Abba, uh, little kids running around, Abba, Abba, it's just cute in Israel, you know. Uh, Abba, uh, uh, Ab- Abram, uh, ever- everlasting father. He now, Abraham, father of many nations. Wow. A new name. Uh, no longer was your name Abram. Your name will be Abraham For I have made you a father of many nations. I want you to circle the word I have. God speaking, it is past tense. I've already done it. How many kids does Abraham have? Zero. God says, I've already done it. Notice this. Circle this. Verse 6. I will. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. And circle this. I will. Make nations come out of you. I will make kings come from you. You read the book of Chronicles. You read the book of Kings. You see this came true. A lot of kings came through Abram's lineage. But God is speaking of one king, the king of kings. His name is Jesus. And that king is going to come through him. And God says, I will make kings come from you, man. I'm going to do a work in your life. Verse 7. And I will, circle that one. I will establish my covenant between me and your descendants after you in their generations. Read these next words with me out loud, loud voice. With you in their generations for an everlasting covenant. To be God to you and your descendants after you. Also, I give to you and to your descendants after, after you the land in which you are a stranger, the land where you're living in a tent now. I give you this land. Look what he says. All the land of Canaan as an everlasting what? Possession. The first one, an everlasting covenant and the land, an everlasting possession. Pretty powerful things here. Um, I will be, circle that I will, I will be their God. God reaffirms this covenant. It's been over 13 years since Abram heard from God. Perhaps he was wondering after his mistake with Ishmael, pretty big mistake, pretty big lapse of faith. Is God ever going to speak to me again? And God comes. And after 13 years, God says, listen, Abraham, I will do all these things. And God reaffirms this covenant. And he reaffirms three essential pillars that I want you to hold on to. Notice this here. Who provides and who receives? How do you see it? Over and over, God says, I will provide and you will receive. We just read it six times. In this passage that we are going to look at today, God will say this, I will, I will do it 24 times. God provides, Abraham receives, all God's doing. Let's make sure we understand the major contents of this covenant. This is my work, Abraham. Uh, This is my doing. I'll provide, you're going to receive. Uh, you're, the, you're, you're, you're Abram. You're the exalted father. Man, I'm going to make you Abraham. I'm going to make you a father of many nations. This is my work, Abraham, and I will provide it. I'll bring it to pass. Your sin hasn't eliminated you. I'm not done with you. This is going to happen. Uh, no, secondly, uh, notice the location of the land. What does he say he's going to give them? The entire land of Canaan. That is the modern day Israel. 
plus a lot more, plus more to the south and plus more to the north. God says, hey, look, I'm going to provide, you're going to receive. And one of the things I'm going to give you is this land. It is an everlasting possession. It is yours. Uh, this is essential. This is important because there are a lot of people in the world today. Open up your newspaper. There are a lot of people in the world today who want to take that land from Israel. The Palestinians say, no, 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 this is my land. I want you to know it has nothing to do with land. It has everything to do with this covenant. That's why it's so important that we know these things. You say, Dave, how do you know it doesn't have anything to do with land? Well, let me tell you, there are 21 Arab countries that want Israel's land. Uh, here's a map of them right here. This is what they look like. They're all in green. Israel is there in red. Uh, the green is the Arab world. Red is Israel. It's just a little sliver. The Arabs have 99.6% of the Middle East. Israel has 0.4%. This is not about land. And yet somehow the Arabs claim that Israel is occupying their land. This is not about land. Furthermore, the combined territories of the Arab countries are 650 times greater than Israel. Yet their population is only 50 times greater than Israel. In other words, this has nothing to do with population and land. Not even close. This has everything to do with the Abrahamic covenant. Iran right now wants Israel's land. And they are making nuclear warheads to get it. And they have gone publicly, not privately, not behind closed doors, publicly and said, we have one purpose and one purpose only to make the nuclear bomb. We want to wipe Israel, every living Jew, off the face of the earth. And anybody who supports them, the little Satan and the great Satan, that would be us, who supports them. Uh, yeah, that's what they want. So this has nothing to do with the land. This has everything to do with this Abrahamic covenant. And God said, listen, I'm going to provide and the entire land of Canaan is yours. Uh, uh, so important that we hold on to that. Not only is this not about land, but it's also, it's not about uh, the well-being of the people. Uh, financially, the average per capita GDP is 500% better in Israel than in Arab countries. So where is the standard of living better? 500% uh, better in Israel than all that green, those 21 Arab countries that I put on the screen. This is astonishing when you consider that Israel has very limited natural resources and these Arab countries are loaded with oil. And yet the uh, prosperity in Israel is 500% better. Uh, uh, this has nothing to do with care of the people. This has nothing to do with the land. This has everything to do with this covenant. There's a spiritual work behind it all that wants to destroy this covenant with Abraham because if it gets destroyed, God's word is, is, is broken and God is a liar. Uh, the, the third thing that I want you to see in this uh, as he reaffirms these pillars here is the length of this covenant. What did God say the length of the covenant was? It is an everlasting covenant. An everlasting covenant. A covenant that will never end. And may I say, when God says it is an everlasting covenant and an everlasting possession, we better pay attention to him. Uh, this covenant will not be superseded. This covenant is unbreakable. It is an everlasting covenant. What if this covenanted people, these Jews, even go, they mess up, they, they, they fall, they stumble. It doesn't matter. God prophesied all those things would happen. He said, if you turn against me and you go after other, other gods, I'll send you as captives into other lands. I'll disperse you all over the earth. It was prophesied in advance. It happened. And God says, if you humble yourself, I'll bring you back into the land and I'll restore you. And it has happened. You read ancient, you read commentaries from like the 1800s on this passage and, and some of the guys would say, hey, uh, this is so powerful. This is so profound. We think Israel might have to become a nation again. Uh, Israel was not a nation for nearly 2,000 years. From 8070 until May 14th, 1948, uh, there was no nation. And yet God's covenant still stands. It's amazing. God promised, I will regather them and he has done it. This is spectacular. Uh, God is still keeping this covenant today. 
It is so important that we hold on to it. I am amazed that so many churches do not embrace these truths. And they say God has no plan for Israel. The church has now inherited all of God's promises. Nothing could be further from the truth. It is a slap in the face to the living God. And uh, it is important. That's why we're spending three weeks on this Abrahamic covenant. Let's move on. Let's see what we can cover. God is going to now bring us into this plan of, uh, uh, that, he, that he makes with Abraham here of circumcision. I bet you didn't think you'd be talking about circumcision in church today, but here we are. Uh, verse 9. And God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised and you shall be circumcised on the flesh of your foreskin. Very interesting. And it shall be, I want you to circle this right here. It shall be, what does he say? A sign of the covenant. It is not the covenant. The covenant is not circumcision. The covenant, circumcision is just a sign that you're in the covenant. The covenant stands no matter what. Circumcision is just a sign of that covenant. Something that God is allowing you to participate in. Because it's all his doing. I want to give you a sign that you know that you're in this covenant. Uh, if you believe me, if you receive my love, you can be circumcised. Uh, verse 12, and he who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male child in your generations, he who was born in your house, he who was bought with money from a foreigner, from another nation who is not your descendant, verse 13, he who was born in your house, he who was bought with your money must be circumcised and my covenant shall be in your flesh. Here it is again, third time for what? An everlasting covenant. God says, hey, if you've got a big company and you hire a lot of employees and they start hearing about your God and they start having faith, well, then they're to be circumcised. They can come in and be part of this covenant, right? Uh, verse 14, and the uncircumcised male child who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from before his people. He has broken my covenant. Uh, what God is saying there is, hey, I give you a choice. If you understand in your heart all that I've done and you want to walk in this, great. But if you say, no, I don't want any part of that, uh, you, can, you can walk away from this. Uh, uh, interesting what God does, does here. God gives Abraham circumcision as an outward sign of the covenant that they received by faith. By faith. Circumcision is not the covenant. It's the sign of a covenant. And this became a big problem because in Judaism, in the Jewish religion, guess where they started putting all their faith in? Well, I'm a Jew. I've been circumcised. And God would say, big deal. Big deal. In Romans, Paul would teach, circumcision is not of the flesh. It's of the heart. Circumcising the flesh is just a sign of what you've done in your heart. Circumcision is a covenant between God and Israel. We don't receive it as a church. It's not for the church. We have baptism. Uh, that's a, a sacrament that God has, has given us in the church, right? A, uh, 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 right? And it's the same kind of thing. Uh, it's, it's, it's only an outward reflection. It's only an outward sign of what's already been done in the heart. If it hasn't been done in the heart and you go and get baptized... You just got wet for nothing, man. That was just a waste of time. That was just vain religion. God doesn't even see it. God doesn't even acknowledge it. As a matter of fact, God calls it sin. But if in your heart, you're like, Jesus, I'm in awe of you. I can't believe what you did, that you died on a cross for my sins and you rose again from the grave uh, and that you want to give new life, born again to all who come to you. I'm in, Lord. I receive your forgiveness. Then we get baptized, and it's a beautiful symbol. It's a beautiful sign of the new covenant, right? Uh, this, what is it? It's this old man dying, being buried into the grave, so that the new man would be resurrected by the power of the Spirit. A life not led by my flesh, die to that, a life led by the Spirit. It's the exact same picture of cutting off your foreskin. No longer being controlled by my flesh. I am dead to that. Now I live to the glory of God. Beautiful. Beautiful. 
uh, Jesus uh, would say, we're going we're to have communion together. Jesus would say, this cup represents a new covenant. My blood shed for the remission of your sin. This covenant was an everlasting covenant. Uh, sorry, wrong, wrong part. Uh, an everlasting covenant. It, it, uh, the new covenant that Jesus was talking about. It doesn't supersede the Abrahamic covenant. The Abrahamic covenant still stands. It's an everlasting covenant. The new covenant is built upon the Abrahamic covenant. It's the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant. It doesn't supersede the Abrahamic covenant. The Abrahamic covenant is still in effect. Later, after the Abrahamic covenant, God would give the Mosaic covenant. The Mosaic covenant was a conditional covenant. If you do this, this will happen to you. If you don't do this, this will happen to you. A conditional covenant. This was an unconditional covenant. But even the Mosaic covenant didn't supersede the Abrahamic covenant. It was built on top of the Abrahamic covenant. The Abrahamic covenant is the foundation of it all. And so this is uh, important for us to hold on to. It's an outward sign of the covenant. And uh, uh, we have to hold on to this. Uh, by the way, the eighth day, interesting. Um, We've learned some things that we had, didn't know for thousands and thousands of years after this was written. Uh, but a baby doesn't have any vitamin K in them when they're born. Uh, vitamin K helps with blood clotting. So now we know a baby's born, you know, a little Finley born on the screen. First thing they do is give them a little shot of vitamin K to help the blood clotting. Uh, very interesting. Guess when uh, your body starts producing vitamin K as a baby? <laughs> Around the fifth day it starts and it gets to its level up high enough on the eighth day. Uh, very interesting. There is a protein that the liver produces uh, that uh, aids in, in blood clotting. It is called prothrombin. And prothrombin, this protein, I am told uh, that prothrombin, prothrombin reaches, this protein that the liver produces, reaches its highest level in a child. Guess when? On the eighth day. Quinky dink. Uh, Eight, by the way, the number of new beginnings. Uh, seven notes on, a, and then you have an octave, eight, uh, a, a new scale. Uh, seven days in the week, and then you have a new week, uh, this new covenant, this new beginning with, uh, that God is doing here. Anyway, uh, uh, ancillary things there. Let's move on. Uh, verse 15. Um, then God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. God changes her name. It's so interesting to me. Jesus did the same thing. Uh, uh, Simon, I'm going to change your name. You're not going to be Simon anymore. You're now going to be Petra, Peter, a uh, little stone. Uh, who do you think you are changing names? Well, I happen to be the creator of the universe. I happen to be the guy who made you, right? And here he comes along. He says, listen, Abram, you're not going to be the father of many. Now you're going to be the father of nations. And Sarah, you're going to be no longer Sarai. You're going to be Sarah, which is princess. Uh, you're going to be royalty. You're going to be uh, the daughter of the king, right? Uh, just awesome. Love this. Um, verse 18, excuse me, 16. Uh, and I will bless her and also give you a son by her. This is amazing because she is menopausal. Uh, then I will bless her. And she shall be a mother of nations, and kings of people shall be from her. Here we see this culture, uh, even the Middle East today, that doesn't even value women. I mean, they are so cruel to women. And God, from the beginning, has honored women as equal as men. And he gives her all the same promises and includes her in this covenant and takes time to single her out. Uh, God is no respecter of persons. Uh, I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings shall be from her. And Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, didn't even say these words, God knows his thoughts, said in his heart, shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old and as good as dead? Uh, and shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? Abram goes, oh my gosh, God, you're amazing. And he is just filled with joy. God, I can't believe your love for me. Oh, man, you're so good to me. Lord, this is just incredible. I am blown away. And he is just saying in his heart, Oh, Lord, you're so good. You're so good. 
Sometimes I come home and I see all my kids parked in my driveway and they're parking in my spot. I can't even get in the garage. And they're like, and I see, and I can hear the noise as I'm walking to the house and I just go, oh, Lord, you're so good, you know? Abraham has one of those moments. He just laughs and rejoices in his heart, praises God. Uh, we're going to read next week, Ab- uh, Sarah, his wife, also laughs when she hears this news, but she laughs for a different reason. She laughs and says, Poof, yeah, right. Me? That ship has sailed, baby. Uh, uh, and uh, God's going to, you know, different ways of laughing, right? Uh, uh, Abraham here blown away. Um, we read these things. And we, well, let me go, let's go on just a little bit further. Um, I'm looking at the clock and trying to figure out how I can get all this in. Uh, uh, Abraham's blown away. Look at verse 18. Uh, Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Interesting. After he just finishes rejoicing and praising God, he thinks about it. And he goes, oh, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Ishmael's my son. He's 13 years old. I love this boy so much. I mean, I'm teaching him how to throw a fastball right now. We're playing soccer together. I mean, you know the bond between a father and son? 13 years old. What an amazing time of life. He says, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. What is Abraham asking God here? Oh, that this covenant that you're making, let it be on Ishmael, Lord. Raise him up. Let the covenant be upon him, right? Uh, That's what he's asking. Um, And look what God says, verse 19. And God said, no, period, no, sorry, no. Sorry, Islam, the covenant is not with Ishmael, no. God said, no, Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. Isaac means laughter, joy. You shall call him joy. Uh, think about Abram when he falls on his face in laughter, when he hears, oh, your wife is going to have a, a, a son. Do you know how many tears she cried? And he goes, oh, my gosh, she's going to love it. Man. Your son shall be called laughter, joy. Uh, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant. Fourth time now God has made this point. How long is this covenant for? Everlasting. And with his descendants after him. As for Ishmael, Ishmael means God hears. God has a sense of humor, by the way. As for God hears, I hear you. Behold, I have blessed him, and I will make him fruitful, and I will multiply him exceedingly, and he shall beget 12 princes, and I will make him a great nation. I just showed you a map. Did that come true? 21 different nations that came through Ishmael. God made all this come, come true, right? But, verse 21, my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah, your wife, will bear to you at this set time next year. Then he finished talking with him, with Abraham, and God went up from Abraham. Wow, wild. God says, Abraham, the wait is over. I know you've been waiting 25 years. This time next year, you're going to have a son. And it's not going to be through Ishmael, this promise. By the way, very interesting, uh, uh, this fact of Ishmael, right? Uh, Back in chapter 16, I skipped one verse, and I told you I'd come back to it. I want to keep my word. Look at chapter 16, verse 12. This is a prophecy of Ishmael, why Hagar is still pregnant with him. And it's profound. There's a reason we're looking at it. Uh, It'll help you understand your newspaper tomorrow. Verse 12, God speaking, the angel of the Lord speaking to um, Hagar about Ishmael. And it says, he shall be a wild man. That word wild man is translated 10 other times in the, in the Bible as a wild donkey or a wild ass, depending on what translation you have. He shall be a wild man. His hand shall be against every man. In other words, he'll be hostile to everything, right? Uh, and every man's hand will be against him. He's just going to be constant turmoil. And he shall dwell 
in the presence of all his brethren. Uh, what does that mean? Uh, and he shall dwell this way in hostility in the presence of his brethren. That explains the Jew and Arab conflict. As the Arabs are just constantly in conflict with their brother Isaac. And there is this constant conflict there. And God says, no, I'm not making the covenant through him. I'm making it through Isaac. I don't care what Islam teaches. We do not worship the same God, right? Different paths, different messages. Um, let's start to begin to bring the plane home. What do we do with these things? We read our Bibles and we see this incredible correspondence between Abram and God and, and God speaking to him. One of the longest discourses in scripture of God speaking firsthand. And we think, man, I wish God spoke to me like that. And we read the miracles in the Bible. We say, wow, I wish I saw miracles like that. I want you to know something. I want you to hold on to something. I want you to know this truth. It is true for all men. We all walk with God by faith. All of us. Even the patriarchs. We all walk with God by faith. I want to remind you it's been 13 years since God spoke to Abram. 13 years. He has heard no voice from God. We have a Bible before us. Every, every time we open the Bible, God is speaking to us. Abram had 13 years where he had no message from God. Abram is living by faith. God had promised him that he would have a son, that he would be a nation, that he would have a homeland, uh, that, he, that the Messiah would come through him. But he's now 99 years old. It's been 25 years he's been waiting. And none of these things have happened. He has no homeland. He's still living in tents. He doesn't even own a house, no property. He doesn't have a son, much less a Messiah. Sarah is still, you know, no kids. They've watched their neighbors have tons of kids in 25 years. They kid after kid after kid. Then they watch those kids grow up. Now they're having grandkids. Now those kids grow up. They're having great grandkids. Still no kids. And I wonder how many times over the last 25 years did Abraham and Sarah cry out, God, where are you? Don't you care that I'm barren? Don't you care that I'm hurting? Where are you? Why is this happening? What about all the promises you made to me? Where are they? Why is everyone else prospering and I'm not? Where are you? What are you doing? Hey, 25 years is a long time to wait for something. We all live by faith, even the patriarchs. And you say, God, what are you doing? Why so long? Here's why. And I want you to take note of this. Write this on your heart. God is making something significant out of Abraham. God is doing a work. God is making Abram a man of character, a man of wisdom, a man of substance, a man who is not blown around by the winds of circumstance or by the emotional sways of life or by vain uh, experiences in hyper-spiritual religion or by cultural sways that come and go. God is making a man who knows God, who walks with God, and who experiences God as El Shaddai, the all-powerful God in his life. And this is a powerful work that God is doing. A man whose life is built upon a rock. A man who does not sway with the cultural changes of society like the rest of the world. And Christian, may I tell you, God is desiring to do the same thing in your life. Sometimes we wait and we say, God, why am I going through this? Why have I waited so long? Why did everyone else get blessed and I didn't? Uh, hey, here's what I know. Keep focused on what God promises you. He is doing a work in your life. He is making you into something. That is why the Bible says, that is why Jesus' half-brother who denied Jesus and didn't believe in Jesus until he saw him resurrect from the dead. And he goes, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry for all those things I said. It was that, that James who would say, brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. 
When you're waiting for God to move and he hasn't moved yet, count it all joy. Why? Because God is doing a work in you. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith is going to produce some character in you. It's going to produce some substance in you. You're going to have a life built on something substantial. You're going to be a man, a woman of substance that isn't blown around like the rest of the world, who this week, we're all about this. And now next month, we'll be all about this. And we change like the tide, man. We change like the winds. We're like a butterfly just getting blown around by a storm. We're all about this today. Uh, Black Lives Matter. And then uh, tomorrow, we'll be all Black Lives. And all they did is build houses for themselves. What were we thinking? You won't be blown around all over. You'll be built. You'll be substantial. And this is what God is doing in Abraham's life. He's making a man out of this man, a man who walks with God. And that's what he wants to do in your life. And oh, I love watching it happen. I love seeing it. I love seeing Mason go from this teenager in my living room to a an elder in the church who is now a godly man building something. Love it. And that is God's calling on your life. Let him do it, man. Let him have his way. God wants Abraham to know him, his provisions, to trust in his word, not in the circumstances, to have a faith that is bigger than whatever emotion might, you might be going through, to have a life that is built on something. And this is God's work in Abraham's life. I want you to realize this. God, he, he says, hey, uh, first I call you, I save you, yeah, and now I want you to know, you to know me as El Elyon, the God most high, God above all other gods. Okay, now I know you that way. Okay, now I want you to know me as El Shaddai, the all-powerful God. What, what am I saying? Here's what I'm saying. Christian, listen, this is for you. God wants you to know him more, Period. However much you know him right now, God wants you to know him more. And he works through circumstances in your life so that you might know him more. And he inspires you as you read his word that you might know him more. And he puts people in your life to help you walk with him that you might know him more. Because God wants you to know him more. And you say, why does God want me to more him, know him more? Is he a narcissist? Is he all, all about? No, 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 no. Because you become your very best when you know him more. God makes you something significant when you know him more. God makes you substantial. You become a better man of character, a better woman of character when you know him more. You become a better husband. You become a better wife. You become a better father, a better mother, a better businessman, a better, a better friend in your ice cream social, in your whatever. Your whole life becomes better. God loves you so much that he wants you to know him more because he wants to build you and allow you to walk in all the things that he has for you. Now, you want to know what the sad reality is? We don't want to know him more. That's just the sad reality. Oh, I know. I wish we were here at church. Oh, yeah, we want to know you. No, we don't. That's why you didn't open your Bible this week. Because you don't want to know him more. Here's how selfish we are. We hear that we're saved and that we're going to heaven. And we go, that's good enough for me, man. What's for lunch? Where are we going to go to the movies? What are we going to buy? What are we going to do? I don't need to know anymore. And God says, you'll be shallow. I'm trying to do something in your life. I want you to know me more. And so God often allows these difficult trials, 25 years, no child, even though you've been telling everybody, God made this promise with me. And even though you look like a mocking, a laughing stock, and even though you're standing on this word of God that just has not come true, God wants you to know him more. Why? Because he's building you. He wants you to experience his power, El Shaddai, in your life. And God's going to bring it to pass. Mary and Martha, Lazarus, they knew God, they knew Jesus. They believed he was the Messiah. They knew he was an amazing teacher. They were content in what they knew about Jesus. And Jesus said, I want you to know me more. And so Lazarus gets sick. And Jesus says, I'm going to stay gone for a little while. And Jesus comes back and they're mad at him four days. He's rotten. He's got maggots crawling through him. And Mary and Martha go, what happened? Where were you? You let me down. And Jesus said, 
I am the resurrection. They knew him as the Messiah. They knew him as a good teacher. They didn't know him as God in the flesh. And through that trial, he resurrects him and they know him as El Shaddai. Oh my gosh. And this is what God is doing in your life. Walk before him. Aware of his presence. And be blameless. And may you watch God do exceedingly abundantly in your character, in your person, in your world, in your family, exceedingly abundantly above all you can ask or hope to the praise and glory of Jesus and his power. You may freely share this message with others as long as you don't charge for it. Support for these broadcasts comes from your generous donations that allow us to give away our materials for free. To participate with us, please visit our website at themissionchurch.net. God bless.